It's 2015, and the kale craze is in full swing. People are eating, roasting, blending, and juicing it. But one molecular biologist in Marin County stumbles upon evidence that this queen of greens might be hiding toxic levels of certain heavy metals. And it's even worse in organic varieties. Could kale be behind the host of mysterious symptoms in his patients? Welcome to the Craftsmanship Quarterly Podcast. I'm producer Chris Igusa. Today's story, The Vegetable Detective, originally published in 2015, written by Todd Oppenheimer. Ernie Hubbard sees a very self-selecting group of patients and clients. Health fanatics, he calls them. People who eat extremely well by current standards, exercise regularly, generally don't smoke, do drugs, or drink to excess. In today's world, however, especially in health-conscious Marin County, California, where Hubbard lives and works, these are the people increasingly showing up in doctor's offices complaining of persistent but elusive problems. Chronic fatigue, skin and hair issues, arrhythmias and other neurological disorders, foggy thinking, gluten sensitivity and other digestive troubles, sometimes even the possibility of Lyme disease. At one point, Hubbard got an opportunity to look more closely at what might be bothering some of these people. In 2010, a Cleveland company was developing a detoxification formula called Z-Natural, and its officers asked Hubbard and his colleagues at Preventative Medical Center of Marin, an alternative health clinic, if they would test the product. As a molecular biologist with a background in biochemistry and genetics, Hubbard had been working with the clinic's doctors to explore a range of tests and treatments not often found in traditional doctor's offices. These include bioimpedance analyzers that measure cellular energy and chelating formulas like Z-Natural, which aim to stimulate the body to release toxins. Chelating treatments have been controversial. Some doctors consider them ineffective and, in some cases, even dangerous. After a bit of study, Hubbard and his colleagues concluded that Z-Natural was far safer than its competitors, so they felt comfortable proceeding. Before long, Hubbard had a pilot study underway, with 20 people happily peeing into cups. As he started gathering results on their samples, taken before, during, and after the detox regimens, he noticed an odd pattern. Several people registered high in thallium and cesium, two heavy metals generally not on anyone's radar. At first, I just thought, oh, another one of those, Hubbard says. By the third or fourth, I started scratching my head. As the test progressed, the detoxification regimen seemed to prove effective and with no side effects, but thallium kept showing up. Then, in July of 2014, he stumbled upon a 2006 study out of the Czech Republic showing how the cruciferous family of vegetables behave as hyperaccumulators of thallium. Crucifers include many of our more intense green vegetables such as kale, cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, mustard, and collard greens. These are also the vegetables often touted and consumed most heavily these days, supposedly for their outsized health benefits. The most popular member of this family has been kale, promoted for its prodigious supplies of calcium, magnesium, potassium, vitamin K, and various healthy phytochemicals and antioxidants. 
It's even been described as the queen of greens. Not coincidentally, kale consumption has exploded. In 2007, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, kale was harvested on over 900 farms across the country. By 2012, that figure had more than doubled to roughly 2,500 growers. In the last five years, the number of restaurants serving kale has reportedly risen by some 400%. People are juicing it, cooking it, eating kale salads, even making chips and other foodoid products from this hearty plant. It suddenly hit me, Hubbard said. I thought, oh my God. In fairness, one can expect to find pollutants anywhere you look these days, if you look hard enough. When I touch my desk right now, I'm picking up chemicals, says Bernadette Burden, press officer for the U.S. Centers of Disease Control. A lot of these elements occur in nature. For example, we now know there is arsenic in apple juice and in rice. True enough. But the question is whether there has been a recent spike in these toxins, especially newcomers to the scene like thallium. That's a difficult question to answer right now, given how recently people started gorging on kale. Behind door number one, dirty plants. As Hubbard poked around, he kept turning up more worrisome information. It turns out thallium was once a common ingredient in rat poison. It was also Saddam Hussein's favorite poison to use on his enemies. The metal works exquisitely for poison because it is tasteless, odorless, and nearly colorless. While none of Hubbard's test subjects had been consuming doses even close to poisonous levels, the medical and scientific literature linked low-level doses to many of the complaints brought to his clinic— fatigue, heart arrhythmia, and, in more extreme cases, nausea, neurological problems, and hair loss. To test this link, Hubbard started playing a little game. Whenever the clinic would send him someone with the kind of chronic problems associated with thallium or any other complaints that were hard to pin down, Hubbard would scribble kale on a little note card and turn it face down on his desk. After a short workup, he'd ask the patient to list his or her favorite vegetables. Over and over, people would mention the crucifers, especially kale. Hubbard would nod, say he expected as much, then show them the note card on his desk to prove it. One such client was Laura Fenimore, an outwardly healthy 52-year-old vegetarian. Fenimore works out vigorously, for two hours every day, she told me. I'm in ridiculously great shape. She even runs a body image consulting business. In fact, when she first joined Hubbard's study group, Fenimore didn't feel particularly unwell by her recollection. She enrolled, she said, primarily because Hubbard was a friend and she was curious. She admits, however, that at times she felt fatigued and foggy in the brain. But there was one other problem. She had always been admired for having beautiful hair, and now it was starting to fall out. In clumps, she says. Fenimore's favorite vegetable? Kale. And cabbage, even more so. How often did she eat it? Pretty much every day. I joke with my clients that I'm the cabbage queen. 
When Fenimore's urine samples came back, even Hubbard was surprised. Her thallium levels measured at 0.7 parts per million ppm, which is seven times higher than what's considered the threshold limit in the workplace. That threshold is, according to a 2009 CDC report, the agency's most recent statement on toxic exposures. Her test was not a perfectly accurate reflection of her toxicity levels, however. During the time she was drawing her urine samples, she had been taking the Z-Natural Detox Formula, which infuses urine with more of the problem element than would normally be the case. Still, her urine measures were so high, the exaggeration created by Z-Natural very likely pales by comparison. For some frame of reference on this point, the CDC offers this data point. In one of the more widely studied instances of thallium contamination at a cement plant in Germany decades ago, nearby residents suffered a slight increase in nonspecific symptoms when their urine showed thallium levels as low as 0.02 ppm. Fenimore's thallium count was 35 times higher than that. And one more. The thallium levels in Fenimore's urine were 4,700 times higher than the CDC found in most Americans, at least when the agency last measured. That was in 2012, when the kale craze was still warming up. I couldn't believe it, Hubbard told me, regarding his reaction to Fenimore's samples. He promptly put her on the clinic's detox regimen, which tends to saturate the urine with any toxins as they are coaxed out of the body. Two months later, he tested Fenimore again, and her numbers had more than doubled to 1.8 ppm, nearly 12,000 times what the CDC found in the average population. Fenimore was also carrying around slight excesses of other metals, primarily cesium, cadmium, and arsenic, all toxins in their own right. Fenimore was even more surprised by these numbers than Hubbard, given the mildness of her health problems. With reluctance, she cut way back on her cabbage consumption, which she now calls getting off the sauce, continued taking her detox potion, and watched her numbers slowly drop. I do feel better now, she says, hormonally, mentally, and emotionally, and the brain fog cleared a lot. Fenimore's wife, Kathleen, also saw a change, a quick and marked difference in Fenimore's alertness. One might expect a person's spouse to be biased, but her observations are credible for a few reasons. First, she didn't completely buy Hubbard's story, or his testing and detox procedures, and she's not even a fan of cruciferous vegetables. Hubbard loved hearing that because it handed him a convenient mini-control on his study, suggesting that environmental factors may not have caused Fenimore's toxicity. As coincidence would have it, two others in Hubbard's study were twins, offering two people with the same genetic palate. So, I had a genetics control and an environmental control, Hubbard says. I had the kale haters and the kale lovers all getting their urine analyzed, and... (laughs) I think it's hilarious. Hubbard is clearly having a ball with these inquiries. To follow these leads, Hubbard created a lab in his home, which is a houseboat. First, he wanted to confirm exactly how much thallium was in the vegetables his clients were eating. He wanted to test everything he could, but time and resources wouldn't permit it. So, he focused on Crucifer's queen green, kale. 
After calling a few professional testing facilities, he came up with a set of protocols that turned the houseboat's kitchen into a cross between a university laboratory and a movie set for a Frankenstein film. There were a few false starts. I had an explosion that left glass and kale and molten slime all across this room, he says. Hubbard seems to thrive on obstacles. So, he put his kitchen back together and soon created some legitimate samples. Then, he sent them to a well-established lab, Curtis and Tompkins in Berkeley, California. When he got the samples back, he thought they weren't analyzed in sufficient detail. So, he looked elsewhere. That led him to Doctors Data, a federally licensed laboratory near Chicago that does specialized testing on how elements function in the body. By September of 2014, Hubbard was getting reports back showing heavy metals in virtually every kale sample he sent in. There were also traces of nickel, lead, cadmium, cesium, aluminum, and arsenic. Some of these metals are famously bad actors, or at least suspicious ones. For a touch of exploration, Hubbard also crunched a few jars of baby food. Lo and behold, they too contained heavy metals. Door number two, coal. One day, Hubbard called Dr. David Quigg, the lead scientist at Doctors Data, to better understand his lab results. Their conversation set off even more alarm bells. When Hubbard pointed out the prevalence of thallium in his subject's tests, Quigg wasn't terribly surprised. He said he, too, was seeing thallium in more and more tests from various clients. It's not high. It's just frequent, Quigg told me when I called him. We never used to see thallium at all. Now, everybody who touches a report, it jumps out at them. Quigg suspects plenty of vegetables besides kale are picking up thallium and other heavy metals. He already knew of one example where a Seattle woman suffered from eating lettuce that turned out to be laced with thallium. This happens with all leafy greens, he said. If it's in the soil, the leafy greens are going to take it up. Hubbard has been wondering about other vegetables, too. He just didn't have the budget or the assistance to test more than the obvious. But that's been enough, in his mind, to build a case. At one point, he noticed that a rule from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration called Title 21 prohibits the sale of food products containing more than 1 ppm of mercury, lead, and all other such toxic metals. The FDA was no more specific than that. But Hubbard thinks one could argue that a phrase like that is pretty inclusive. Hubbard is an experienced scientist. He's 65 and has been involved in several genetic engineering startups, so he knows his data is limited and preliminary. But it also suggests the possibility of violations in abundance. One kale sample reported thallium at 1.14 ppm, nickel at 20 ppm, and aluminum at a staggering 120 ppm. Clearly, most of these excesses are minuscule, but they are enough to raise red flags for someone like Dr. Quigg. Since Quigg is regarded as something of an expert on toxicity, he's a former pharmacologist with a PhD in nutritional biochemistry, I tested Bernadette Burden's argument on him. 
Potentially toxic chemicals are everywhere these days. So isn't it foolish to overreact if we see trace signs of them in our urine? Quigg's answer essentially is no. We now know that heavy metals are additive and synergistic, he said. If you get a little thallium and a little lead and a little cadmium in your system, you've got one plus one plus one equals five or six, not just three. The reason, Quigg says, is that metals and chemicals might each have different effects by themselves, but they share similar sites of action where they disrupt the metabolism. The problem multiplies, he believes, when patients see their doctors complaining about not feeling well in vague, general terms. Some doctors dismiss such complaints. Some suggest remedies that might prove unrelated, such as medication or lifestyle changes to reduce stress. And some will order tests to look at issues such as thyroid function or blood content. When the results come back, there's often no sign of toxicity at levels considered poisonous or any other severe problems. So everybody throws up their hands and, in Quigg's view, misses the point. Of course the symptoms are vague, Quigg says. That's the point. This stuff bioaccumulates. Down the road, it's going to kick you in the ass one way or another. The more Hubbard nosed around in the circle of toxicity, the more he thought he smelled a rat. He just wasn't sure where it was. He spent hours on the internet figuring out where thallium comes from. Answer, it's a natural part of the Earth's crust, but usually only in the faintest quantities. Whenever it has been found in amounts large enough to sicken people or contaminate farms, it's been traced to nearby cement plants, oil drilling, smelting, and, most of all, in the ash that results from coal burning. For a while, Hubbard was obsessed with the possibility that coal ash, which is produced at a rate of about 70 million tons a year and steadily growing, might be the culprit. The circle was perfect. A Seattle Times reporter named Duff Wilson reported as much in 2001 in an investigation titled Fateful Harvest, The True Story of a Small Town, a Global Industry, and a Toxic Secret. The circle works this way. When energy companies burn coal, they need a cheap way to get rid of the ash. So they sell it as fertilizer, where it's most generously used on the miles of corn and soybeans that are grown for animal feed across the Midwest. The crops absorb the thallium, the animals eat what the plants produce, then they poop out thallium, along with anything else the animal's digestive system rejects. In honor of the modern ethic to recycle whenever possible, we gather the manure and use it again for more fertilizer, often on organic farms. The final stage of this cycle, the possibility of contaminated fertilizer on organic vegetables, really got Hubbard fired up. In an attempt to figure this out, he collected two kinds of kale samples, organic varieties and several that were conventionally grown. The results were perplexing. Thallium, along with other toxic metals such as cadmium, lead, and mercury, showed up slightly more often and in slightly higher quantities in the organic varieties. The limited number of samples made Hubbard wary of drawing any definitive conclusions about organic vegetables containing more toxic metals than their conventional counterparts. But the pattern 
tiny as it was, was clearly worrisome. Could it be, he wondered, that organically grown kale is higher in sulfur, which is known to attract thallium? If not, its presence had to come from something else that farmers are using in their fields. Whatever the case, Hubbard's growing body of evidence was enough to make him suspect what he calls a perfect storm. Contaminated vegetables, misleadingly pushed on the public as nutritious and clean, leading to misdiagnosed ailments. Where does this list end? He wrote in one of his numerous messages emphasizing these points. There is undoubtedly a series of similar perfect storms at work in other heavy metals and our food supply, including infant and baby foods, pet foods, and beyond. The potential of this storm so bothered Hubbard that he decided to test his theories himself, and he thought he had the perfect petri dish, a few acres in Sonoma County farmed by a friend that had been mostly abandoned over the years. This created the possibility of something close to a blank slate. Within days, he was testing the soil and planting kale. Then came another surprise. The soil showed very little thallium in comparison with others he had tested, but the kale he grew contained quite a bit. This proved kale's powers as a hyperaccumulator, but it disproved, or at least shook, his belief that coal ash was the culprit. Now I'm not so sure where it's coming from, Hubbard says. Tom Willie is equally mystified. Willie farms 75 acres of organic vegetables in Madera, California, and is one of the state's most experienced and knowledgeable organic farmers. And, by coincidence, two of Willie's vegetables, baby bok choy and carrots, ended up among the 30 different foods Hubbard chose to study. Both turned up entirely clean of thallium and any other heavy metals the lab tested. But those tests were done by Hubbard's first lab, which did not find thallium in any of the 19 samples it tested. But obviously, something slipped through somewhere. We definitively have aluminum in our soil, Willie told me. We've seen it in our soil tests. Willie has never seen thallium in soil tests. Then again, he's never looked for it. But he might not find it even if he did. As Hubbard discovered in his own test garden, plants and soil play an expert shell game with heavy metals, some of which, in farming parlance, are also called micronutrients. Take iron, for example. One year, when Willie found below normal levels of iron in a few soil tests, he decided to test his crop's plant tissues to see just how bad the situation was. When the test results came back, they showed iron levels to be perfectly adequate. By that time, Willie had already added fertilizer to increase the soil's iron content, which he then realized was unnecessary and potentially overloading his crops. Iron, however, is pretty well understood in both health and farming circles. Thallium is a new one. It may have a value to a plant that we don't understand yet, Willie said. We're just now learning how a lot of these micronutrients function. Door number three, water. While nosing around all these dark, toxic corridors, Hubbard did find a few promising doors. One arose from a bizarre discovery in his kale samples. 
Some varieties, such as dino and baby kale, accumulated large amounts of thallium. Others pulled in less than half as much, even though they had been grown in the very same ground. This gave Hubbard an idea. Breed a kale variety that isn't attracted to thallium. We breed special tomatoes and everything else, he said one morning while showing me his array of testing apparatus. Why not kale? To further explore this possibility and his many other ideas, Hubbard is setting up his own study program called the Sage Center to promote new kale varieties, toxicity testing, and whatever else he has found that might lead to optimal health. As Hubbard's efforts continue, it would obviously help matters if we could pinpoint the sources of these metals. David Quigg has his suspicions. With all the fracking and oil drilling being done around Kern County, where much of the state's fabled produce is grown, he thinks there is a chance that various heavy metals are making their way into irrigation water. The reason, as has been well reported, is that both fracking and oil drilling require massive amounts of fresh water. Even if you clean it up and put the leftover sediment in a landfill, it's going to make its way back into the water supply anyway. That's a heavy charge. So I called the California Regional Water Quality Control Board, which is the state agency that watches these issues. I learned some good news and some bad news. The good news is that in most areas of the state, Wastewater from fracking and oil drilling isn't used on farms, whether polluted or not. It's too salty. The bad news is that there is at least one glaring exception. Clay Rogers is the assistant executive officer for the Central Valley Water Control Board. In one area of Kern County, he says, the oil field wastewater has been clean enough to use for irrigation, so they have allowed the practice for decades. Just recently, however, community members have begun asking about chemicals and other elusive toxins that the agency has never regulated or watched for. Out of an abundance of caution, Rogers said they have been gathering test data. As it happens, the first reports just arrived in June, and the agency hopes to have an analysis available soon. In the meantime, Hubbard, not one to leave a stone unturned, has been wondering what he can find in agricultural water supplies. So, he tried another experiment at his friend's farm. Due to California's historic drought, the farm's landowner had recently drilled a new well, which had to go down 360 feet before it struck water. At that depth, for any metals that surface, their source is a mystery. It could be old seepages from the dairy operation that apparently used to work this land, or it could be metals from under the Earth's surface, where they often lie in a more concentrated form than is found in topsoil. Either way, maybe this was the source of the thallium found in Hubbard's test kale. When he tested the water, however, the reports came back entirely clean. It's really difficult to know where this circle ends, Hubbard says. So, the mystery continues. The Vegetable Detective was written by Todd Oppenheimer. It was read by Garen Norquist and produced by me, Chris Igusa. Our managing editor is Lori Weed. Todd Oppenheimer is the founding editor and executive director. When this story was originally published in the summer of 2015, 
it hit a cultural nerve. The kale craze described in the piece was in full swing. This story, and Hubbard's claims of toxicity, were picked up by dozens of other media outlets, with a mixture of praise and condemnation. Some, like Mother Jones, agreed with the reporting and urged caution and moderation when eating kale. Others, like Vox, attacked the piece, questioning, among other things, a lack of peer-reviewed studies, Hubbard's shopping around for lab results, and his credentials as a scientist. In the fall of 2015, Craftsmanship Quarterly published a response to this controversy. In it, we discuss Hubbard's 13-page rebuttal to the Vox article, which resulted in Vox issuing several corrections to their piece. We also spoke with a Johns Hopkins nutritionist who confirmed that while Hubbard's results were preliminary, they were based on, quote, good science, unquote. And most interestingly, we dug deeper into the thallium mystery, discovering evidence that the substance may act as a stealth heavy metal, tricking the body into faster absorption. You can read this full response in The Vegetable Detective Take Two, linked in the notes for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the podcast so you don't miss any upcoming shows, including stories, interviews, and audio projects featuring some of the world's most skilled artisans and innovators. The best way to support what we're doing is to share our work with others and rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever platform you use. More stories, videos, audio recordings, and resources on craftsmanship can be found at craftsmanship.net.